Story after story tells us that boys are struggling, boys are failing. Today, we're going to hear from the president of the Global Initiative for Boys and Men about what is happening as far as data and research and how that is being used to change policy. Important work. Stay tuned for the On Boys Parenting Podcast after these messages. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to stay up to date on the latest news and research about boys? Subscribe to Building Boys Bulletin. It's a weekly newsletter that contains inspiration and encouragement, as well as links to and highlights of relevant articles, videos, and podcasts. I comb through the news so you don't have to. Get Building Boys Bulletin delivered directly to your inbox each Monday for $5.99 a month or $60 a year. To subscribe, go to buildingboys.net, enter your email, and click the red check mark. You'll be taken directly to the subscription page. Subscribe today so you don't miss a newsletter. When my boys were born, I was winging it. I had no classes, no boy-specific information, and I learned by making a lot of mistakes. I wish... Janet, I wish that the Raising Next Gen Men course had been available when my kids were little. Yes. So if you are raising littles, if you are raising tweens, if you are raising teens, the Next Gen Men course is going to be informative, inspirational. Inside this course, you will meet some people that you've likely heard on our podcast before. Dr. Michael Reichart, Adam Cox, Michael Thompson, all of these advocates and change makers are highlighted in this course. So you are going to have new information, new inspiration for raising those boys into great men. You can find the course at nextgenmen.ca slash shop and use the Onboys coupon code for a discount. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. We've established a global reach with our podcast, proudly so. And listeners, you know that advocating for boys, supporting those who care for and educate our boys is a global mission. Our guest today is the president of the Global Initiative for Boys and Men, an organization that supports the well-being of boys and men everywhere through their research and advocacy. Working at the level of research and using data to inform policymakers, educators, parents, media, and government at all levels is an essential way that long-term effective change happens. There's a lot of work to be done, however, because while there are many programs that exist here in the U.S. at the federal, state, and local levels that support girls and women, there are virtually no corresponding programs that support boys and men. 
Our guest is working to change that, to bring all of us together. Because as Jen and I often say, when we support our boys and men, we are also supporting our girls and women. Welcome, Sean Coleman. Thank you so much for the introduction, Jen, and I really appreciate it. And uh, Jen, thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to be on on Boys. And I think it's wonderful that there are women like you out there who care deeply enough about our nation's sons and our nation's daughters. So, you know, the, these um, are really not zero-sum game things. These are Mm-mm. really important moments for us to come together. So thank you for that introduction. You bet. And thank you for being here. So give us an overview, first of all, of the Global Initiative for Boys and Men. What are you about? How did you get started? A number of years ago, I was I had been writing and had a piece in the New York Times about the status of boys and men, and mostly boys in education. And then a, a group of writers reached out to me and people from the a, a group trying to create a White House Council on Boys and Men to match the White House Council on Women and Girls at the time under the Obama administration. And so writers had reached out to me and I became friendly with people. And after about six years or so, I realized that we need to also consider a new direction with a 501c3. And we started the Global Initiative for Boys and Men to focus on research and advocacy to support boys and men. And that's really how the Global Initiative for Boys and Men formed. Now, we started about 2019. So, you know, pretty much during a pandemic isn't always the best time to start a nonprofit, but we did it anyway. But really what we did the first year to year and a half, we just did research and we wrote and we collected data to add some authenticity and also add credibility to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our research is original. All of our articles have data that is verifiable and reliable, but that's really how GIBM got started. We've been in 10 different countries. People have reached out to us on our data collection, how they could do their own sets of data collection. And so Mm -hmm. we're growing slow and steady, but I think one of the biggest things we're working on is well, there's two. One is the BAM index, which is the Boys and Men's Wellbeing Index. It's the first open source resource dedicated to the well-being of boys and men. So people were coming to us and saying, "Hey, where can I get data? Where can I get data?" Mm-hmm. And we got some funding and we started the BAM index, Boys and Men's Wellbeing Index. And that's bamindex.org, which there's just a lot of data in, in in several different categories that people can look at. And so out of that, then we started working on commissions and we started writing state reports and we've completed four state reports on the status of boys and men. And we've presented to different legislators in those states. The biggest one working on now is California and trying to take even legal action against the state of California for violating the Equal Protections Clause. Let's back up for a little bit because, you know, data, it sounds very wonky. And yet one of the issues when you start talking about uh, boys and men, it can be difficult to find data that is uh, disaggregated by gender. So I want to hear a little bit about why you saw this need to bring together this data and then make it um, accessible and easier for people to get to paint the picture of what's actually happening on the ground. One of the, one of the reasons, reasons I think it's really important to dig deep. The data is there. You just have to, have to sometimes dig deeper. But what often happens is data is conflated. So we've always believed you need to disaggregate data by, by sex. And you also need to really disaggregate data by race. So the data is there. It's not always front and center, even when 
boys and men are the group suffering most. So let me give you a perfect example. Mm -hmm. In education, for instance, we will talk about the suspensions of black students. And more often than not, that data is conflated and it gives an, un an unreal picture of what's happening. Really, it's the black boys who are suffering and it's it's not as much the black girls. In fact, we we did a study in a local school district I'm in and found the very same thing. It's all boys of all races are suspended worse than their female counterparts of the same race. But even then, the top four of so we broke our cohorts down into 10 categories. So it was Asian males, Asian females, black males, black females and so on down the list. And your, your four to top five who are suspended are all boys, regardless of race. Mm -hmm. So the suspensions of one group will look higher or one aggregated group will look higher when in reality, the data is conflated. So what really, really started doing is digging deeply and dissecting that data further. And that that's where it really came from. And also came from my work in the classroom. And I, I'm an avid reader. And so just looking at data, I'd say, hmm, that doesn't seem right to me. And I would dig deeper and find it. So that's what really got it started. So with this BAM index, were there surprises? Jen and I have talked about this for years. You know, we kind of know boys are struggling in school. They're, they're more likely to be expelled or suspended. But was there anything that surprised you in bringing all this data together into this index? Well, yeah. I mean, even when one looks at stay health care. Right. I mean, there are all these programs out there to help women. And it's wonderful. Right. We don't want suffering people, but males are the most uninsured. You never hear about that. And we actually found it in California, for instance, when mm. we did a state report on the status of boys and men in California, we found that males are most uninsured. And we found it in a document that was created by the California Commission on Status of Women and Girls. You would have never found it unless you went to a link and another link and, and deeper, but that wasn't mm -hmm. brought out, right? What was emphasized was the need to get women insured in California. Mm. And in fact, it was men who were the most uninsured. So that's an example of a surprise, right? Well, here they're writing about it and then you dig it. Well, wait a minute, the men are the ones who, who are most uninsured. So that's a surprise. And then the other thing, you know, I, it's not surprising to me, but when you get the data and you, you put it all together, you know, data never lies. You know, people may try to manipulate data, but if you if the data is being interpreted accurately, it, and I look at something I wrote recently on the school to prison pipeline, 70% of suspensions, you know, 83% of juvenile arrests, 95% of the incarcerated, there's this straight linear path. But when you see it, you know, we as a culture are just meaner to our boys or less understanding. And, and you wonder why they end up as the most incarcerated, the most suspended, the most, you know, juvenile arrests, mm -hmm. and why they get in all sorts of trouble. So when you mm -hmm. ask me what surprised me is seeing those linear paths, yeah. systemic uh, outcomes. Well, and you said, as you, I was reading through your newsletter about the school to prison pipeline, and you said in there that prosecutors handle female drug dealers differently than male drug dealers, often letting the females go with a lighter sentence than male offenders would have. And, you know, just another anecdotal example of our varied approach, let's call it that, to our boys and our girls. Yeah, I interviewed an FBI agent for that who had been involved with drug enforcement. 
And really it was, you know, the mothers need to be home for the kids. So they would have lighter sentences, even though they were involved in the same activities. That was kind of the rationale of, wow. of unequal protections. And so, you know, then those children are really growing up in homes and, and it's sad, right? But they're growing up in a home where the the mother or the father was, you know, really a drug trafficker. It goes, it goes both ways too, because fathers also have children. Fathers are also important in their children's lives. So yes, children need mothers and they need fathers. And uh, what you said a little bit ago resonated this idea that culturally we, all of us and systemically have built it in, we are harsher with our males than with our females. And you see this in, in school discipline, you see this in home discipline so often, you see this in the comments people make to uh, t-ball players, you know, Mm -hmm. how somebody speaks to and handles a little boy is different than how they handle a little girl. And we're all human. We all need encouragement and support, but these differences get magnified and lead to these issues down the road. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly what it is. And, and really, when I look at the school systems, they're really not built for boys. Like, they're just not as yeah. inclusive. And the outcomes mm-hmm. bear that out. I mean, you go to any state across the country, and what you're going to find that boys are behind in reading, period. And that's, that's, that's in, again, if you break it down by the intersectionality of race and sex, that's what you're going to find. It's not a coincidence. And so they're more, more likely to be drugged right? We, we medicate mm-hmm. our kids. We medicate our kids so they can sit in, in a building for eight hours a day. Well, we there, medicate more boys than girls too. Yes. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. There's something yeah. wrong with that approach. Yeah. There's, there's clearly a fundamental change that needs to happen in the education system. The global initiative is based on these five, five areas that you've lined out very clearly. I would love for you to just go through those and just so that our listeners can kind of tap into, oh yeah, oh, I hadn't thought about that area. Yeah. For instance, this, what we're talking about fatherlessness, maybe dad's incarcerated, but maybe dad really wants to be a custodial parent and he's less likely to become that custodial parent. But, you know, we really look at six areas. We look at education, physical and mental health, jobs, careers, and financial health. I'm just going to stop at those three and, and, and I'll introduce the next three. Education is pretty clear. There's a K through 12 educational system. There's a post-secondary educational system. And they are really, the, the, the statistics bear it out very clearly that boys and men are not doing as well. In an article I just released today, the title of which is, while Biden is spending $2.6 billion on gender equity programs abroad, Americans are dying at home. And in the piece, I discuss very clearly, and, and we, I use data from the National Center of Educational Statistics, between 2010 and 2018, there have been 10 million fewer male graduates than female graduates, degrees. That means associates, masters, masters, doctorate, 10 million in, in wow. that span. And between 2013 and 2018, 3.2 million in the article it's very clear that the educational system, the outcome, if the outcome is college, right, then K through 12 is, is failing on some level, Mm -hmm. not all levels, right, but a portion of the level. The second thing is 
I, I want to talk about physical and mental health. I want to back up for a minute because I think this education component is a lot of families first entrance into realizing that something is going on with boys. You know, for those of us who are female, you know, we're unaware of this growing up. I, I know the issues that affected me, right? And it wasn't until I had boys and then my boys started engaging in society more. And when they go to school and then you start looking around and realize, wait, it's not just my kid. It's his friend and this friend and this friend, this is a boy issue. And so for a lot of people, I think moms, especially, this is really their first awareness that our society is, is not really paying attention to the needs of boys. I agree that when you're not around boys, it's very different. And I'm happy you brought that up, Jen, about when you had boys, there's a mother I'm really close to a family. We're really close. My son, my younger son is best friends with their son. They have four boys and she's an elementary school teacher until she had boys. She said, I was not as good a teacher until I had boys. She yeah. got it. She's like, they're so different. And, and she's a wonderful, edu- wonderful educator, does a great job with her, her boys. But you're right, until you're really around them. And if you're not around them, just go to the park and observe them. You know, watch how the girls play and watch how the boys play. It's so completely different. And so I, I think that's a really important to thank you for bringing that up. Even our educational system doesn't really address how boys and girls learn differently. And there are teachers who believe that does not exist. There is really no pedagogy while one is getting, say, certified in education, going through their education that really focuses on that, even as a topic. Let's yeah. discuss. You know book, that, right, like, Janet? Boys and girls learn this was this was my path. I was uh, I have my degree in elementary education and was completely shocked to have my first class be 10 boys and two girls. And no one had talked about the differences. They talked about classroom management, but never how boys will learn differently than girls, how boys are uh, less mature, how they come to, for instance, reading later than girls. And so, and, and this isn't even, this isn't just a problem here in the U.S. This is globally. Our expectations, our academic and behavioral expectations for our boys within a school system are completely skewed. And listeners, longtime listeners have heard Jen and I talk about this a lot. It is it is very concerning. And so while we're on this topic of education, I'm curious how the global initiative has an impact with schools. How do you go in and say, hey, this has got to change. What's the actual practical boots on the ground kind of change that you are uh, fostering with this data and research? Thank you for bringing that up. So one is trying to create a California commission on status of boys and men, right? That will allow an or, you know, a, a state entity to regularly educate the legislature on what's happening with boys in K through 12 education. That's number one. This is a big push and trying to get it is going to be incredibly difficult. I want to pause you because is there, is it true that there is a California commission on the status of women women and girls? Yes. It received 12 million in funding the last two years. Wow. During a pandemic where 60 to 70% of deaths are male, 70 some 5% of the opioid deaths are male. 
78% of the suicide deaths are male. I, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's in unconscionable. I'm okay with the the women's commission. Absolutely. I support it hundred percent. As GIBN, yes. I can tell you, we support it hundred percent. This episode is sponsored by, by heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash on boys. Winona, menopause care made easy. 
it occurs to me, I think it's when it comes to money is when this all ends up getting treated as a zero sum issue. Because yes, what is what helps my boys thrive in the world is good for the world at large. It is good for all the women and girls they will encounter throughout their lives. And what happens for our daughters is good for my boys and the world at large. But when it comes to going before a legislature, whether it's state or federal, and there's X number of dollars, well, now we fight over the money. It's such a a human thing. And I know we don't want to frame it that way, but this is the first time really realizing why sometimes it looks like a zero-sum game because there's limited attention, there's limited dollars, where do we put it? So as you're saying that, Jen, it's occurring to me that aren't many of those legislators men and wouldn't they want do you want to be a man in 2022 saying let's put more money into the men you know a lot of it does have to do you know really with the lobbying there's there's a long history here if you don't mind i'll just you know i can extrapolate a little on this you know i'm going to go back really far now so after world war ii we compensated our men for sacrificing their lives with the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. And that was the largest influx of men into post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s and 70s with the civil rights movements, we saw that we needed more women in, in professions and we did the right thing. But it's it was very different in the recompense. We saw it as a civ- civil responsibility, a civic responsibility to provide the equal opportunities for our daughters, for our men, it was recompensed for sacrificing your life. There's a difference. And that I think took hold in the way our culture decides to support our boys and men and our women and girls. We saw supporting women and girls as a civic duty, as a civic responsibility. We saw supporting boys and men as not that, but as recompense for services rendered which is sacrificing your life in war. Because if you look at the numbers of those who entered college after World War II, Vietnam, you saw this big influx. But from that point forward, you start going into the 80s, it dramatically changes. Mm-hmm. And so we've established decades of organizations lobbying to advocate for our nation's daughters. Under the guise, honestly, of sexism, and there was some sexism for sure, but the culture is so completely different. You know, trying to compare 1920 and, you know, 1980 are two very different things. Mm-hmm. People didn't go to college. They were just trying to survive, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and so when you look at how we got to where we are in the money, it's what we saw as civic duty and what we saw as recompense for services rendered. I could argue that the other way too. Because because as a woman, uh, I am still rendering a ton of services that this country has never recognized and will never recognize. And we can talk about the unpaid labor of parents of both sexes Mm -hmm. forever. But the bottom line is we do live in a country with limited resources. Mm -hmm. Part of what you are working to do and part of what we are working to do is to raise awareness that 
there is an issue going on. And if we care about our future, we should probably pay attention to the fact that most of the people um, getting pushed out of, dropping out of, failing out of school are boys. That's a problem. We should probably put some attention there. There is no national programs to get more men into elementary education, for instance. There's no push. There's no push to get, I mean, men are going into nursing, but there's no push for it right? In the same right. way that we do STEM, right? So, yes. so again, yes. it's, so, again, it's what we see as a civic kind of responsibility. Well, there's a deficit here. We have responsibility to do this, but the converse does not happen. And so that's kind of, you know, go segueing from education into jobs and careers. And you've talked about as college being the goal. And what we know is that college is for many boys is not the goal is not in their area of interest, let's say. So what what light can you shed on vocational education and our boys, you know, holding up university uh, with uh, vocational education? Are more boys going into vocational fields, into job training programs rather than college? And I think we need to make a distinction between college readiness and choosing to go or not go to college. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's the distinction. So whether or not a child chooses to go to college is one thing. Having the prerequisite skills is another. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we want our boys and girls to graduate with the prerequisite skills to do that sort of rigor, but that doesn't mean they have to go to college. The trade programs, I think, well, what looking at trades, there's less, less funding, right? So for example, Look at the Pell Grant system. The Pell Grant system awards 6.2 billion more annually to our nation's daughters. 6.2 billion annually. Wow. And that's a big number. There's really no no programs that are, you know, fewer programs that are really saying, hey, let's get boys into engineering with a two-year program or a one-year program. Or, you know, so where are boys going? You know, the wages are going down manual labor stuff, right? They can do, they're firemen, they're policemen, they're truck drivers. There are other careers they're going after, but the trades in America have really sort of gone by the wayside as manufacturing has gone by the wayside. We're living in a knowledge-based economy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talk about is the essentialness of bringing manufacturing back. To, we need manufacturing here. I mean, and that might account for why we're seeing boys where they are with mm-hmm. addiction, suicide, no career paths. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, a, there's a correlative there for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. people say that, I even talk to educators while they're going into, you know, trades. I said, well, what trades? And there's, mm-hmm. you know, they say plumbing or they say, you know, they say what comes to mind. But what trades are they really going into? And what trades are providing them with a lucrative income? Mm-hmm. And we don't release anything on that. So the Department of Labor has WANTO, which is a, a program that looks at the how women are doing in 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 certain in trades, but there's no manto, right? So, and now we probably need it, right? Because the whole economy has dramatically changed in 30 years. Yeah. Well, we're still we're in the middle of a massive shift right now. You know, look at the changes that are happening partly as a result of the pandemic and and other things, things are evolving and changing. And we do need to, what is it, what's on the ground? What's happening? The WANTO is a women in apprenticeship, non-traditional occupations program. 
So women in apprenticeship and non-traditional occupations program. I don't know. What about men in apprenticeship and non-traditional occupational programs like nursing or education? Yep. You yeah. know, so so that's just to get back to you. Everyone mentions the trades, but I say, well, what are the good paying trades? I mean, there's you know, electricians and plumbers and and those sorts of things, right? But they've mm -hmm. been around for forever. Mm -hmm. Um, well, so I want to segue into uh, your third pillar, which is the physical health and emotional health, mental health of our our boys and men, including life expectancy for our men, suicide rates. We got it all in, in this and, and category. I, yeah, and I think you all know it. And I think most people who listen probably have an idea. But when you really start to look at the numbers, you, you start to realize in the 10 year span, we have lost over a half a million boys and men, over a half a million to suicide and drug overdose. It's heartbreaking. Wasted, yeah, potential and, and lives. And every single one of those lives had other people who yep. cared about mm -hmm. them, who loved them. Those ripple effects go far. You know, one of the things people talk about is percentages. And I always like to use raw numbers as well, because when you start seeing things like half a million, we can anticipate a half a million, over half a million men to die on those two things alone. We can expect over a decade, 900,000 men to die on drug overdose, suicide, homicide, and automobile accidents. Those four things alone, right? And when you start mm -hmm. saying like 900,000, people are like, oh my gosh. You know, and they, people think, well, that can't be true. I said, Here's the data from the National Center of Educational Statistics, or here's the data from the CDC, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and so the data is clearly there. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to reevaluate what we're doing and go back to the, the physical and mental health piece. And I don't think we need to make our boys be, they are sensitive. They express yeah. it in very different ways. They're more quiet about it. A friend of mine Absolutely. has two boys. And the little boy had gotten into an altercation at school. And I realized this is like a community where, I mean, there aren't really, you know, serious altercations. So this boy gets in an altercation with another little boy. And so the teacher wants to talk to the two boys about it. And, you know, and, and, and it becomes what was over the, for the boys in five minutes became like a one week dialogue mm -hmm. and meetings and for two boys, like one boy grabbed the other boy's backpack and the other boy pushed them. And that was like the end of it, mm -hmm. you know, and they became friends. And then the teachers come in and the moms come in and, you know, and now it's <laughs> like every day and they're yeah. like, and they're like, it's over. What are you talking about? And they were listeners. I, think, I wish nine. you could see my face. <laughs> I wish you could see Janet's face. You know, you know that I've been raising four boys for more than 20 years. This story sounds so familiar. <laughs> And Janet, you had the little boys in your classroom and certainly none of us are saying we should ignore, you know, violence and harm between children. That is not what we're saying. But adults, sometimes we are not helping things. How mm -hmm. little boys solve problems and how middle-aged adult females solve problems are different, period. It's funny when kids used to act up in my class and I could do this, I did this at a public school. Um, they would come to my room at lunch and clean my desktops. I had the spray, I had the wipe. You're gonna wipe my desktops. They were high school mm -hmm. kids, but mm -hmm. that's what you're gonna do. And then yeah. when it was all over, you know what happened? It was like, hey, there was always like a little treat afterward where I had cookies or whatever, yeah, candy. 
And, you know, you know, he's going to say, we get it right. And with, it would be an exchange of a few words. It's like, we get it right. The distraction. <laughs> like, I get it, Mr. Coleman. You know, thanks, man. That's it. It was over. They get why they were there. They get why they did. And it's like, look, mm-hmm. you and I can work this out on our own or we can call your parents and they're like, ah, we'll work it out on our own. Yeah. And that goes back to what you're saying, Jennifer, is they are working it out on their own. It doesn't mean you don't want to address issues, but where do they learn to navigate the world? Right. They learn to navigate it in their world. Seeing, seeing their world through their eyes, not our uh, adult middle-aged women imposed view um let's in the interest of time let's and middle-aged men and middle-aged men in the interest of time let's move on to your other three pillars i want to make sure that we speak to all of them today when we really do look at the other outcomes i look at fatherhood family and relationships as really a priority and none of these pillars are really you could say more valuable than the other Mm -hmm. they're all related the criminal justice system and court systems and then we have the male narrative in the public discourse and so the fatherhood, family, and relationships are incredibly important. You know, mothers and fathers need to be in, involved in their kids' lives. And I'll tell you what's what's frightening right now is, you know, we're living at it in a time where, depending on the state, you know, you're looking at 35 to 50% of births are out of wedlock births, you know, births to, to um, unmarried parents. I mean, we, we are heading for a serious problem of, of the 50 states, 40 where 35% of out of wedlock births are new births. Mm -hmm. And so that is, again, a a frightening number because now the courts are involved. And Mm -hmm. we really probably need serious reform when it comes to shared parenting rights. And it really should be, in order to remove a parent, that parent should have to be pretty darn incompetent. You Mm -hmm. know, they need to be involved. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. The court, the courts and, and family court anyway. So I'm going to tie this to the family court and family and fatherhood and relationships. You know, through Warren Farrell's book, The Boy Crisis, what happens when fathers aren't involved in the lives of their daughters and their sons? Mm-hmm. Right? We know the incidence of, of teen pregnancy rises. We know that the incidence of drug abuse rises. We know that, you know, suicide rates are, we know that educational outcomes are worse. Not in all cases, but again, it's, it's statistical probabilities. And that's what happens. But the court systems are contributing. If you're someone of modest means and just what's happening, the money isn't ultimately not getting to the children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. interesting that there is such um, variability on this yet in the United States. I mean, I've been divorced now 12 years, 12 years ago in the state of Wisconsin, where I am, the presumption was for shared parenting. The presumption was that you know, both parents will have equal time with the children unless there is a mitigating factor, you know, and and you alluded to that, certainly in cases of abuse or, uh, you know, an issue with the parent that would, you have to do different, but that's still not the case in every state. We're in 2022 and that's still not the case where it is presumed that children should have time with both parents, whether or not their parents are married. Yeah. And, and I know I've, you know, friends who have gone through this and, and I see the ones that work and don't work and the ones that work where the kids are healthiest is when the parents kind of put their own differences aside and say, no matter how we feel about one another, we're the adults in the room mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's all about the kids. You know, I had a friend who, who, who went through a divorce and um, I remember them going to the child's games, sports, sporting events, 
sat next to one another, you know, even though they were divorced, you know, there was unity when they were with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. It I is mean, a beautiful thing. If it's possible. I was say it's it's possible. In the perfect world. And it's not always possible though. That I understand for sure. I will say that you can still raise really good kids having both parents involved even if you don't sit next to each other at your kids' games, <laughs> personal experience talking yeah. to people. There you go. Sometimes the separation is because the one of the parents is incarcerated. So what about the criminal? Just, just see my segue there. What about the criminal? <laughs> your, thank you. <laughs> the criminal and court system. And we said, we said earlier, you know, our men are prosecuted differently than, than women in many cases. Yeah. The numbers bear that out for, for the same crime. There's a difference in treatment period. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're already su- suggesting as a culture that one group of people committing a crime or another p- group of people committing a crime, the same crime should be treated differently. And And that gets to the uh, male narrative in public discourse, how we think about males and how we think about females is different. And we still have to work on that. I think we have made societally, I think we have made progress in naming and recognizing biases and prejudice that influence our perceptions of women and girls. I think we need to work on that yet when it comes to our males. I don't think that socially we have done that yet. No, we haven't. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, so the New York Times has a piece called In Her Words. So I wrote the New York Times, of course, and ignore me, but I said, you know, what about in his words? Then you would get this really, you could tend to get this really cool dialogue going back and mm-hmm. forth. How, mm-hmm. oh, like your take on something and, and my take on something mm-hmm. in, on the same issue, right? And then, then you start really having true conversations. I have a, a sub stack and it's in his words.us. And it, it's, it's, um, that's where I'm releasing. We're going to be releasing our articles from now. It's going to be in his words.us. And so it, it's the male narrative in the public discourse is never sustained. It's like a drip. It's one dot, you know, you'll mm-hmm. hear about something in, you know, in September mm-hmm. of 2021, there was a piece in the wall street journal about our, our young men and college today. There's just not there. Great piece, right? Well, it's kind of there. You talk about it for like two days and you don't hear something again for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keeping that discourse going over time. Great that you're doing this in, in his words, even if the New York times didn't want that shout out to the New York times, just saying, Sean, this is, I mean, all of this is such important work that you are doing and your organization is doing. And so in his words, we can find that. Jen, we'll put that link in the show notes. Where else can people tap into this work that you're doing and bring it to their communities? Well, GIBM.us. And I'm really going to encourage parents to do this. I think we need to see more parents who feel strongly about their boys running for school board. Mm. We need, I know when you have kids, you're like, oh my gosh, we need more parents who care about, because they do care about our daughters. That, that's, that is true. And we need more of them on school board. So you can learn more about us from GIBM.us. But we actually did a presentation of, of, of a local school district I'm in that recommended how the district should release data to parents on a yearly basis. 
mm -hmm. provided templates on what it should look like. But, but until you get school board people, school board members of the community on the board, that won't change. And I really mm -hmm. think it's imperative that parents consider running for school board. And I'm going to put a shout out for this. Um, some of you may know I recently completed about a year and a half, two years on my school board. I stepped down because I moved out of district. So I, I had to in that case. But uh, you learn a lot about how the school system is run and you learn about the conversations that are going on and that insight into what is going on you start seeing why some things are the way they are. And then you see opportunities to advocate and, and, and to draw attention to things. And Sean, as you said, that data, you know, let's not just look at pass fail data. Let's look at boys versus girls and not versus boys and girls. You know, we need mm -hmm. to, to get down into this so that we can make the changes that are needed in mm -hmm. our district. And it, I'm not going to be president. Sorry, guys, it's not going to happen but I can make differences in my local community and your school yeah. board is a great way to start. Yeah. yeah. So I would really, instead of promoting us, I would really encourage people to you know, promote themselves, get involved in their school boards if they can. I'm routinely reaching out to my school board and getting information and I'm publishing it. Learn more about us at gibm.us and check out in his words.us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean, for being here, for sharing. Our, our listeners know that like Jen's the statistician and I'm kind of the, just tell me the story. And you've really woven both of those things together for us today. And I hope our listeners can blend the two and know how important it is to have the real data and the stories that go along with it. So thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, thank you so much, ladies. First of all, I really appreciate it. Love the energy the two of you are bringing. It's really tremendous. It does. It motivates me. So thank you for that energy. And thank you for your compassion. You know, I mean, you're both passionate and, and you're knowledgeable and you're vocal. And I think that's tremendous. And I think that tells you something about why men and our boys need to rely on women. You're strong, you're vocal, and we need you. And we need each other. We need you too. So here we are. Carry on. If you're curious to dive more deeply into this realm of boys and men, how can we be advocates for them? How can we understand what the messaging is out there? I encourage you to check out gibm.us, of course, and also nextgenmen.ca. This is our group in Canada. You know, this is a global mission. So our group in Canada is nextgenmen.ca. And there is that course there that you can take that is so inspiring and enlightening. Use the Envoys coupon code for a discount. And I've said it before, every Monday morning, first email I open is Jen's Building Boys Bulletin. You can go to buildingboys.net, subscribe for a ridiculously low yearly amount there. You will have an email every Monday that she has curated. She's sifted and sorted and found the information that you need to know about what's happening for your boys locally and globally. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. Thank you for being our listeners. Please share this with a friend. Share this with a teacher. 
share this with the school board member. I am Janet Allison, along with Jennifer L.W. Fink, and we appreciate you so much. Thanks for being our listeners. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.